0: Our our sermon text is 1 Timothy 3. We're still going through verses 1 through 7. And so if you're able to do so, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word this evening. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Give ear to the reading of God's holy word. Paul says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, if you're going to have a soundtrack, that's a pretty good song to hear during the sermon. Bless the Lord. Pretty sure the early church didn't have a nice quiet place to uh, have their services either, so we'll we'll do just fine. Well, we've been, if you've been with us, maybe you haven't been, some of you, going through this passage for a little while. And I think the reason for that is it's an important passage. The whole Bible is, the whole book of 1 Timothy is. But uh, there, there aren't too many things more important in the life of a church than the selection of their elders and deacons, the officers of the church, even the pastors of a church. And so the passage we've been going through lately has been detailing the biblical qualifications for the office of overseer or elder. And we saw that an elder's faithfulness in marriage is one of the primary concerns that Paul has in our text. In verse 2, Paul says that an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Verses 4 to 5, Paul focuses our attention in this text not just on the elder's marriage, but on the elder's family life. There he writes, "We must he must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? You might know Paul brings the same subject up again later on in this very chapter when he talks about the qualifications for deacons. They're very much the same qualifications. In verse 12 he says, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Almost word for word the same qualification for deacons. And then in case that wasn't enough, in the book of Titus, where Paul also gives the qualifications for elders, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, he writes this to Titus. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. How often do churches, maybe you've seen this happen yourself, how often do churches hastily lay hands on a man ordaining him to ministry as a teaching elder or a pastor, a ruling elder or a deacon without giving sufficient thought to his marriage and his family life? And truthfully, we in the church do a great disservice both to the men themselves as well as to the church when we don't consider these things as we ought to do, as Paul even instructs us to do in our text. As we go through this passage, I would encourage you each one uh, to examine yourself in regard to these things. Whether or not you may be considered in the future to be an officer in the church is almost irrelevant in some ways, for as we've seen throughout our study of this text, the same qualifications that Paul gives us for elders and deacons, for the officers of God's church, they are still to be the aspiration and goal of every believer it's the responsibility, It's the. it should be the goal of every believer in Jesus Christ to have a household that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at what, he, what Paul says in our text in verses 4 and 5. What does it mean for a man to manage his household well? The way the ESV puts it here for managing, it almost gives you the idea that the qualification is, is to be a good administrator. That, that wouldn't be a bad thing, but I don't think that's what Paul's talking about the idea of the greek word that paul uses here has the idea of something being rightly ordered or arranged the king james actually renders it as i'll use the same language they do he must be he must ruleth or rule his house well that might sound strange to your ears but the esv actually uses that same phrase and renders the same phrase that way in chapter 5 verse 17 where it says uh, let the elders who do what who rule well. Same exact Greek phrase as what's in our text. Why they translate it two different ways, I don't know. But let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so it's very clear in our text here that that phrase manages household well. There is an aspect or a connotation of authority and discipline that's included there. That is in some ways the main idea that Paul has in mind, and Paul actually tells us as much in the text, doesn't he? Because he expands on what he means by managing the household well in the rest of the verse. In the rest of verse verse 4 there he says he must manage his own household well and then he explains what that looks like, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. And so to have his children respect and submit to his authority in the home is in some ways kind of the central idea that Paul is talking about when he speaks of a man managing one's household well. Now, I don't know if you've noticed lately, I'm sure you have, but we live in an age where the concept of authority is rather unpopular. Even in the church. You know, we I I think maybe you've noticed this, maybe you haven't. I think we tend to shy away from authority in the church in a number of ways. Think of, even the way a church is arranged and not like this when we're outside, but how many churches today have done away with the pulpit altogether? You know, when you want to kind of uh, critique someone's style of speaking, it's thought of it as a negative when you tell somebody you're being too what? Too preachy. We don't like people who are preachy. That's not good for me, but uh we you know we we don't even like pulpits very often in our churches because a pulpit gives an impression rightly or it should of in some ways authoritative speak. How often does the preaching in some of our churches kind of resemble a motivational speaker a TED Talk more than the authoritative preaching of God's Word? Any man who stands in a pulpit should be saying the equivalent of, even if not literally saying, thus saith the Lord. If something being said in the pulpit in the preaching of the Word can't be described as being thus saith the Lord, it shouldn't be said in the pulpit. Now when I say authority, what comes to your mind? When I say authority, is your first response, your first inner reaction, is it a negative one? I think very often it kind of has a negative thing when we think of it. Now, to be sure, authority can be and often has been abused in all kinds of different areas of life, even in the church. But that doesn't mean you do away with the concept of authority the way that God has intended it, either in the family or in the church. Far from it. What we should do is we should make sure that we're conforming our beliefs and our practices regarding these things, as in all things, to the word of God. That is to be our standard, and we should seek in all things to conform to the word of God. Now, why is it so important? Why does Paul spend two verses, not that that's a long bit of writing, but why is it so important that a man, and not just those who are elders, manage his own household well? and have his children be in submission to him why does Paul make that one of the essential qualifications for office and ministry in God's church first in some ways that's the most basic requirement of God's moral will for our lives as expressed in the Ten Commandments you know, we, we often, we usually, really always read the Ten Commandments every first Sunday of the month Lord willing we'll do that again this coming Sunday but what's the fifth commandment? Honor your father and mother. Exodus twelve twenty verse twelve. The fifth commandment says, "Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you." The first commandment of the set, what's called often the second table of the law, that second table is uh, with regard to how we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. The very first one, you know, if you and I were writing the Ten Commandments and we were making the order. I don't know about you, but in my mind, I always used to wonder, why wasn't murder first? Even if you're going to have, you know, the structure that we have with the first four, the first half, dealing with how you love God and the second half, how you love your neighbor, I would have expected murder as the big one to be first, but it's not. The first commandment dealing with the second table of the law and our love for neighbor involves submission to authority, starting with our earthly parents, our father and our mother. I think here we are shown in the Scripture and the commandments that if we do not learn submission to authority in the home as children, chances are we're not going to do very well in learning it later in life as adults. It's for this reason that Thomas Watson, my favorite Puritan, writes this, nothing sooner shortens life than disobedience to parents. He's not saying that parents are going to kill their children because they're so frustrated. He's saying... They don't learn to respect authority, and when you don't do that, bad things tend to follow. You no, know, I think you only have to turn on the news on your TV at home for a few minutes to see this playing out on a massive scale in our society right now. We have a whole generation that has not learned respect for God-given and ordained authority. And so if a man fails to discipline his children in love, it is nearly an absolute certainty he will fail to exercise godly church discipline as an elder in the church. And the faithful exercise of church discipline is often said, you might know this to be, it's often said that that's one of the marks or the characteristics of the true church, along with the true preaching of the word of God and the right administration of the sacraments. In other words, Reformed theologians have always understood the faithful exercise of church discipline as being an essential mark of the real church. And so without it, what do you not have? In some regard, you don't even have a true church. So it's no, it's no shock that Paul would make it such a big part of the qualifications for the officers, both elder and deacon, including pastors of his church. You might remember those of you who have taken membership vows here, that one of the things you take an oath to do in the PCA, according to our Book of Church Order, is that you quote, you say that you will quote, submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace. If you think about it, you can't do the latter without doing the former. You really can't promise or actively study its purity and peace of the church without being willing to submit to the government and discipline Of a church. And so if a man has demonstrated that he will not discipline his household, according to Paul, he's unfit for office in the church, which is what? It's God's household. That's the point. If he doesn't manage his own household, how will he manage or care for God's household? And that's Paul's point explicitly in the very next verse in verse 5. Look at verse 5. He says, he gives the reason, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household... How will he care for God's church? You know, in verse 15 of this chapter, Paul calls the church the household of God and a pillar and buttress of the truth. What's he saying? He's saying the church, in a very real way, is the household or family of God. And so as such, the family is to be treated like a church in miniature in a lot of ways. And You could say the family is the proving ground for ministry in God's church. John Stott writes the following, he says, Paul Paul draws an analogy between the pastor's family, or an elder's family, and God's church. Indeed, he uses the word oikos, that's the Greek word for household or house. He uses the word oikos, household of both, in verses 4 and 5 and verse 15. So the married pastor, he says, is called to leadership in two families, his and God's. And the former is to be the training ground for the latter. The argument is straightforward. If he cannot look after his own family, he cannot be expected to look after God's. And so you could say in a lot of ways, your concept or understanding of family and your your understanding of authority within the family is going to influence, for good or for bad, your understanding of authority in the church, which is the family of God as well. You know, Paul uses this family analogy with the church elsewhere besides the pastoral epistles in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 7 through 12. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, how Paul viewed himself in relation to them. He says, But we, not just himself, we were gentle among you like what? Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. And then he goes on, he says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked day and, or sorry, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses and God also How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Here it is. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He's kind of, you know, if you can, we talk about reverse engineering things. If you reverse engineer that, that gives you a picture of what a father should be like in a home, doesn't it? We who are fathers and grandfathers are to, to use Paul's words there, exhort and encourage and even charge or command our children regarding the manner in which they are to walk and live. And in the same way, the elders and pastors of God's church are likewise to exhort and encourage and, again, even charge, that word means command, uh, all God's children in the church to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in Christ. Not in a domineering way, in a fatherly way, in a very real sense. You know, it's not an accident that the word for for overseer is elder. It has an idea of someone who's probably a little bit older. I finally qualify for that part. But, uh, well the last phrase that Paul uses in verse 5 I think is also instructive for us regarding the nature of the ministry of pastors and elders. He says their work is one of caring for God's church caring for God's church. Now this idea of caring for God's church is not inconsistent with that of authority. In fact, in many ways those two things have to go together. He doesn't say care for the church without dealing with authority and he doesn't say exercise authority without a a sense of caring for God's church. Now the Greek word that Paul uses there in verse 5 for caring for, it's only found two other times in, in the New Testament. Both of those times or in Jesus Christ's parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. The Good Samaritan, it says in verse 34, says he took care of the wounded man. And then in verse 35, what does he do? He he pays the innkeeper, remember he drops him off at the inn, and he pays the innkeeper to do the same thing, to take care of this man who had been beaten. Now what did the Samaritan do? How did he take care of the man who had been beaten and robbed? Jesus says he had compassion on him, verse 33. He bound up his wounds, verse 34. He took care of him, verse 34. In short, he helped him in whatever way he could, in whatever way the man needed. In the same way, we who are called and ordained by God to serve in ministry in the church and office as elders and deacons are to care for God's family and flock. That must be the goal, even in the exercise of authority, and discipline in the church, even church discipline is not to be punitive. In spirit, it's meant to be a, f- a form of caring for the church, both for the church as a whole as well as for the individual under discipline. It's a matter of caring for God's family. When you discipline your children, or you, you know, in your in your past or maybe in your present, are you not doing that because you care for your children? What does the book of Proverbs talk about? Spare the rod and spoil the child. It means you ruin the child. It's not for their good to not discipline them. In the same way, that's the way discipline should be in God's house. It should be for the good and a mark of caring for the family of God. And that, too, is actually pictured in the use of authority and discipline in the home. Look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Paul briefly gives a, a very brief summary of of life in the home, so to speak, between fathers and mothers and children. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, Ephesians 6.1. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise. You know, very often people act and sometimes even say that God's commandments, that's not for today, that was an Old Testament thing, that's not for believers. Paul begs to differ. He not only quotes the fifth commandment, But he quotes it at length, including the promise given to those who obey their parents. He says, it's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul seems to believe, rightly so, obviously, that God's commandments still apply. But then he adds this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger or to wrath, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction are indispensable necessities which require the exercise of authority and wisdom but not in an overbearing or excessively harsh way. What does he say? Lest we fathers, what? Provoke our children to anger or wrath. So there's a balance there. It's not always easy to keep that balance, but it's there. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 5, the Apostle Peter writes to the elders of the church and exhorts them in the church, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. And then he adds, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So when we were considering men for office in the church, whether it be pastor or elder or deacon, we should be looking at these qualifications that the Bible gives us in the scriptures that and see if a man is apt to exercise authority in the church in such a way that he might truly care for God's church. Now, in closing, you know there's probably few things, I'm learning this myself, maybe you're learning the same thing, or maybe you have learned this, there's, there's few things in the life of a Christian that are more apt to reveal to us our many failures, shortcomings, and sins than our family life and how we raise our children. Maybe the only thing that comes close is our prayer lives. If you wanna make somebody feel guilty, how's your prayer life? How are you raising your kids? Like Those are the two things. Like You could ask someone, how's your tithing? And you probably wouldn't get half the guilt as you would ask, how's your prayer life? I'll, I'll say it's easy to write a check. Not always, not always. But it's, it's easier to write a check and throw it in the bag in some ways. Much easier than raising your, ch- your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so if you're looking at this passage, maybe as I was reading it, maybe you found yourself discouraged and weighed down by your shortcomings and sins in this area. I say this often in different contexts, but welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. And we know that Paul Paul is not demanding perfection here. We saw that last time as well. Paul's not saying, if a man has a perfect family life then just maybe he can be an elder or a deacon. Because what would the result of that be? We would have no elders, no pastors, and no deacons. We would never have them, because there's never a person who's, whose family life is remotely perfect. No one would be qualified to serve as an elder or a deacon if that were the case. And so I, I just say this afternoon, if, if you're discouraged by that, if you're looking at yourself in the mirror, which I hope we always do when we look at the Scriptures, and you're seeing your shortcomings, your failures your sins, don't be discouraged. Confess them to God and seek His forgiveness. Just like every other shortcoming and sin, pray for the grace and work of the Holy Spirit in your life that you might repent of those sins and shortcomings in whatever area you're, you're looking at and that He might work on you what's pleasing in His sight that you might strive more and more to do God's will in moving forward. It's never too late to start. You who are fathers and mothers grandfathers and grandmothers, even fathers and mothers in the faith. You know, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't have any kids to raise right now. I might never have any kids to raise. But you do, if you're in the church. You have children and grandchildren in the faith that look up to you, and you can be a part of of training them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord in love as God's family. Amen. Let's, Let's pray.